Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Stephen Houston. Well, professional sports slowly emerging from the grip of the pandemic, but its financial future is far from certain. Sport New Zealand report carried out by the former New Zealand rugby CEO Steve Chu highlighted the plight of the likes of rugby, netball, cricket and football at a professional level. It led to the government providing $4.5 million in funding to the ANZ Netball Premiership, Super Rugby, the Wellington Phoenix and the Warriors. More could also be on the way as part of the government's $265 million sport relief package. So, with competition back or about to resume, how are clubs faring and what does the future hold? Is it time for cross-code mergers to reduce costs and help provide a more secure future? We're joined on the programme this week by Netball New Zealand Chief Executive Jenny Wiley, Crusaders CEO Colin Mansbridge, Rob Morrison from the Wellnox Group, which owns the Phoenix, and the Head of Sport New Zealand, Peter Miskimmon. Jen, if we start with you, the Chew the report painted a pretty dire picture financially for the ANZ Premiership franchises. How much has the resumption of competition hauled you out of a, a financial hole? Well, I think it's it's financial and it's well-being and it's that inspirational element. But, yeah, no, we, we certainly wanted to get our six professional franchises back on the court um, delivering netball. Um, and it was incredibly important for our viability going forward. But how, how much are you still in the hole, I suppose? How, how much of a... a uh, solution is this reduced competition going to provide for you? Well, I think what we were able to do is deliver our full extent of the content that we um, had intended to provide. But what it does do is, you know, with a, a centralised model, which was what we needed to do in the first instance, has meant um, limited uh, ability to have fans in the stadium, which always impacts. Um, but I think we're getting there and, and we're having really good numbers at the games. We're getting really good viewership. Um, so it's a bit of a rebuild after a, if, after that setback. But that doesn't mean everyone's out of the woods yet. Players back on full pay? Yep, players back on full pay. Our umpires are being remunerated um, per their contracts. So it's great to be able to recognise the people that are putting all that work in um, but again, you know, uh, the landscape remains pretty um, rocky at times, changes really quickly. Um, and we're, you know, we're part of an ecosystem of sport. And if we're not changing that culture and looking at things differently, um, we can't expect to keep doing the things of the past and expect them to hold us in good stead going forward. Colin, none of the, the Super Rugby franchises have any reserves, essentially. And I imagine while you've had good crowds at Super Rugby Aotearoa, it's gone nowhere near recouping what, what you need. No, that's right. It's, um, it, it, it'll still be a tough year. Um, we're, uh, we'll be eternally grateful for the support that we've had um, to get through this season, but it, it will be a tough year financially. Um, but uh, as Jenny said, you, know, you get crowds back um, and it, it sort of uh, it lifts spirits, even if it doesn't fill the wallet quite to what you expected it to previously. 
So, so where has this left you? I mean, how, how much of a financial hole are you in? What happened when we went into COVID? We we had a look, we tried to look at what might a 2021 look and feel like um, at, at, when we we did some an organisation review. So we tried to think about uh, being conservative about 2021 and how would we need to organise to survive not only 2020 but 2021. Um, and and it is about significantly less revenue than than what we had historically. Um, so we think we can survive. Um, uh, uh, in 2021 as well. Um, but, you know, there's a, a few things. There's a new competition um, uh, that's going to be border-constrained to think about. And, um, yeah, so we're, we're not out of the woods, but we, uh, we're, we think we can survive. Presumably you've got to work on the scenario that you could even have just simply what we've got now in 2021. Yeah, I think everybody's come to the conclusion that th- th- this is a good competition, but it's not quite enough, and it's very demanding on on the players. Um, I-, I think in an ideal world, it would be slightly more teams, um, but maybe not quite as uh, you know globe trotting as what the competition was historically. That was probably a little bit too broad across too many time zones, and so to to replicate that in 2021 might be a little difficult. But, um, but yeah, something similar and a little bit more than what we've got now. Would Super Rugby Aotearoa 2021, I mean, we've seen or heard comments from Brent Dimpey at New Zealand Rugby that, that it's not sustainable. So, so would, if you had to repeat this year, next year, where would that leave you? Well, that's, that's the work that we did, and it would be, uh, it would be pretty miserable. Um, but it, it, again, I think we might just about be able to pull through, but it would be miserable. Um, would be uh, the, the, the work we did in the COVID crisis was trying to think about 2020 and 2021. Um, and you know, as an ex-banker, I, I wouldn't be backing us um, uh, if it looked exactly this, as you've described. But um, but I, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be calling in the receiver yet either. Rob Morrison, the Phoenix are about to resume in the A-League. But what's this pandemic highlighted for you about the future of professional sport in New Zealand? What it highlights is it's not necessarily um, uh, that COVID caused this. It actually, COVID and the fact that we couldn't play for a period of time highlighted the, the, the real weakness and structure and professional sport in New Zealand. Um, <clears throat> it has been an unsustainable model for, for quite some time. There's simply not enough uh, money in New Zealand to sustain the level of professional sport that we have and the competitions that we have. And so if, I, I think if there's a silver lining, it's, it's not great, but if there is any silver lining to this, it's actually we, everyone has to sit down and have a relook at these models um, because pretty much as Colin and Jenny just said, you know, we run into another disrupted year next year and um, then without really substantial support from Sport New Zealand, which to date has been, been fantastic and really have to, to thank Pete for, for all the work that he's done there. Um, if we run into another year like this year, then, then you, you really do question the viability of sport, uh, of professional sport, and, and not to have that in New Zealand um, has much bigger ramifications than just the, just the sport itself. So what might a, a different model look like in your eyes? Well, I think there's, there's a number of different models, but, but there, there isn't at the moment in professional sport a common model. We have uh, the teams that play in the Australian competitions, um, the Warriors, the Phoenix, the Breakers. 
they uh, you know they're independently owned franchises playing in, in Australian competitions. You have the the sort of hybrid professional models which cricket and rugby uh, and netball run where you've got an NSO that centrally contracts players and effectively owns the franchises you have private, some private money uh, involved as you do with the, the super rugby franchises but the, the essential problem with that, with that model, same with the cricket, the essential problem with that model is that the private investors don't have an asset to invest in. And if you don't, if you can't invest and actually own the asset, then then there's no real upside to actually um, owning them or continuing to invest in them. You don't build um, reserves, you don't build resilience, um, and and you certainly don't build efficiencies. In the end, people. Everyone loves sport and watching it, but but everyone also forgets that, that if you're going to maintain professional sport, you have to run things as businesses, and if you don't look after the business, you um, then then the sport's going to suffer. And and if there is no business, then there is no there is no sport, there is no professional sport. So I, I think we have to actually take a pretty good hard look at ourselves and go. Um, is it possible to structure uh, professional sport as a business? Do we, we start looking at what what is the underlying business for professional sport in New Zealand, and get a little bit more realistic about what we can sustain here? Because we're certainly not realistic about it at the moment. So that would what mean mergers of different franchises? That that type of approach, resort sharing of resources? What I think I think I think you have to look at that. I mean, it's very much the US model, isn't it? So. <clears throat> You look in, in the US and um, the integration across sport, uh, professional sport there is, is, is huge. Uh, and, and it doesn't just stop with, you know, with the sport. If you look at you know, the Cronky family, I mean, they, they own a number of different uh, professional sports franchises. They own the, the um, LA Rams, the, the Nuggets. Um, they own the Avalanche, the hockey, the hockey side. They own the Rapids, the, the MLS side. They also own their own stadia, um, they own their own sports te- television network, and they own the ticketing company. Now, that's integration on a, on a massive scale, but, but they absolutely run it as a business. But the interesting thing, and I've been across and visited a couple of these places, is that you, you look at them and they go, they keep the sporting side of it separate, so the coaching uh, stays separate, but all the administration is shared. So, so they don't go, well, we need a, a separate marketing arm for the Avalanche, or we need a separate marketing arm for the Nuggets. It's like, okay, that can all be done centrally. We have a central administration in terms of running the sporting group. Um, I'm not suggesting for a moment, <clears throat> because we don't have that depth, that we have you know, um, franchises, professional franchises running television stations and so on. It, it, it's obviously a US context, but here... <clears throat> You've got, and if, if I look in Wellington, we've got um, seven or eight professional or semi-professional sports franchises. You've got you know, the Firebirds, Pulse, Hurricanes, Lions, Phoenix, Team Wellington, um, the Saints in the basketball. You've got at least eight or nine, and and in a population of sort of four fifty thousand. Well, that's not a sustainable model. I think you could you could easily see cooperation between those franchises. In the end, you're in the business of sport, but actually what we mostly do is, is you know, put on events. It just happens to be that the event we put on is sport, so why not have an event company, for example, that runs all the admin around organising these? Why have you know, eight or nine different CEOs? Why have eight or nine financial people? You could easily consolidate um, a 
lot of the back offices for these franchises and run them. Now, that would be quite a, a change because of the, the centralised models that, that rugby and, and cricket and, um, and netball run. That would, you know, it would require a few changes. But I, I do think we have to look at these things because I don't think there is a sustainable model uh, for professional sport in New Zealand at the moment. Peter Muskimmon, Sport New Zealand, where's, where's, the, where's your organisation sit on this? Presumably, I mean, we've seen this $5 million package. Taxpayers propping up professional sport, there's not quite the uh, appetite, I imagine, for that to, to continue. Yeah, well, that, that amount was really about um, holding the line for a period of time, get people back to play, um, ensure we've got a, an experience for fans to enjoy again. Look, I think Rob is really right. I think the opportunity uh, that COVID-19, if you look at it positively, has done is, is put a spotlight on something that's been a problem for a while. Unfortunately, New Zealand just does not have the scale of some other markets around the world. And as a consequence, we all want a, uh, our own little bespoke um, uh, need, um, and we replicate that multiple times around the country. And in the end, though, we can't afford it. You know, the broadcasting, the commercial money that comes from it, the match day revenue, uh, the, the the private money or the, the philanthropic money that comes in, it's, the market is only so small. So uh, we, we would say it's an opportunity to step back and step up uh, and look at uh, what a sustainable model might look like in the future that delivers on what the fans want, that also provides um, the, the, the pathway uh, for our athletes, um, both, both here and domestically and then internationally. And we'd also like to see to make sure that, that the elite part is also contributing to the development of the, that pathway at a lower level. So it's the, it's the balance of that. So, um, uh, you know, sports are, are, are looking at that pathway now end to end. And I think what Rob's talking about uh, and what uh, Jenny and Colin are talking about is what, what is a sustainable model at the uh, top end. And, and now is the time for those pretty, you know, disrupted market. Uh, so now is the time, once in 20 year opportunity we've got to reset and rethink uh, and we should take that opportunity now. Who, who's going to lead that? Who, who's going to get those groups together? What, what's that going to take? Well, I think at the moment a lot of sports leaders, even you hearing on this call now, are contemplating and, and uh, curious, I guess, to start with around what the future could be, knowing that what we currently do uh, it is not sustainable. The world is different. The money is not so much there. The international opportunity is not there, at least in the short term. So, um, you know... Uh, Alternatives have to come forward. I think I think these sorts of conversations will help. We will certainly be talking to all the national um, bodies, the sport, sporting bodies, to provoke that comp- uh, that uh, conversation. But ultimately, it's up to the sports to decide um, and, and to take a big deep breath and go, what is the best interest in the next twenty years, rather than what is it by sort of you know December time. So uh, now is that opportunity where we've got disruption. Jenny, do you see this as the the way forward too? Yeah, look, I think we're all incredibly grateful to have Sport New Zealand's support this year, but I would like to think that any ongoing sport recovery package is based around change and that the catalyst for change is through a combined effort with Sport New Zealand and the NSOs and these professional clubs because we can't continue to support, you know, should we have another year like this, we should not be supporting models that are... um, planning on doing the same thing so I think that that is the the opportunity and that is the challenge for sport and the catalyst will come if we get to um, the end of the year and determine we can't keep going the way we have and whilst it's not a COVID piece it is a great chance for us to really look at this and take a leadership position across the sector because um, you know we, we certainly know that doing what we've been doing 
is not going to allow us to achieve the goals. Every single franchise wants to engage with fans, be financially viable, be vibrant. Um, we're all chasing the same thing and we will cannibalise one another. Um, and as I think several of the speakers today have said, the market is just too small for us all to have, you know, 10 different brands in the Wellington market and the same kind of thing in Auckland, Christchurch, South and in the Waikato. It's just not feasible going forward. Um, and people need to be brave to take that step forward. They won't lose identity if they hold it to be true. But there has to be opportunity in this. Do you see something like a rationalisation that could have saved the tactics? I mean, for example, if the Crusaders and the tactics and other franchises or Canterbury-based had worked together? Yeah, I look, I absolutely agree that um, the tactics is a, an example of how things will look different and we will try something really different down there. We're already on a pathway for that in the mainland region. And I think COVID just has accelerated it. So that's a really good example of where we're going to see change next year. Colin, is, is, do you see, a, for example, a Canterbury or South Island set up working like that? Or, or will self-interest scupper such things? It's a good question. And I'm in 90% agreement um, with what's been said. I guess that a bit of the devil's in the detail is interesting. Uh, just to talk about the tactics, we had um, uh, Mary Ann and um, uh, and Jane, the, the skipper, w- with us on on Sunday watching the game, and and uh, we we have somebody in our organisation, uh, Marie Bowden, who is the personal development manager, a great silver fern herself, and M- Marie and uh, and uh, and I are connected to these guys and talking about ways that we can collaborate better, and it's a it's a fairly uh, early stage conversation, but we're, we're thinking about what can we do together already. Um, so I think the, what COVID's done is it said we've got to be better together. Um, we've just been working through the Super Rugby Review, the other typical review with New Zealand Rugby recently, and what's clear from that process is how much better you are when you're thinking together. But th- there are a couple of sort of um, uh, uh, sort of uh, things which well, I think people default to think there's lots of value where actually it isn't there. So we've seen some revenue opportunity when we think about Aotearoa. But one of the things is um, if you take a franchise like the Crusaders, um, as CEO of the Crusaders, I do as much stamp licking as I do uh, CEO type work. It's, it's a very you know you're very hands on and you're very uh, in the business. Then I think about, say, accounting or finance, and everybody throws up plenty of money to be made from uh, cost savings through putting all that together. But when you've got the likes of a Zero or a Myob and your digital cloud-based um, systems, actually it's not putting it together that's the benefit. It's actually going to best-in-breed system, and you, you don't save a lot from having... There's not a lot to be saved from put it, lumping it all together. What's the saviour is actually in getting a system... That, that uses the technology that's available to us today. So I think I'm 90% in agreement that we need to work together and there's opportunity on, on venue, there's opportunity on training facilities, there's opportunity on those things. But some of the others, uh, which are often offered as slam, slam dunk savings, don't realise when you sit down and examine the details. So I, I think marketing's another one. You probably would make a, some savings, but not, not substantial. Um, probably what it is is in those infrastructure and um, and services tickling those things where there's probably some real opportunity. Rob, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's 
that everyone's in furious agreement, but... Um, but yeah, but everyone's in furious agreement, but, but is anything actually going to happen? No, and I think, I think one of the things that um, <coughs> has been identified and we have to get over is the self-interest thing. So I know at Wellnex we, we tried to do this previously. We, um, we, we tried it with the hurricanes, we tried with the pulse, and, and people weren't interested. So, you know, but we're, we're really happy to try again um, because we do think that there are synergies and um, a lot of those synergies uh, actually come from, you know, the use of shared training facilities and so on. So, you know, in, in Wellington, where everyone, all the professional franchises are spread all around the place, it's like there are opportunities um, um, out at, at Trentham to... to to, um, to sustain a high-performance centre, which a number of the franchises could use. There's certainly a lot of... Uh, there would be cross-utilisation in terms of sports medicine, um, physios, that sort of thing, but it's like you, there are opportunities to actually to do this. I mean, in Australia, you go in Melbourne, the, uh, the, the, the Storm, the Victory, uh, Melbourne Victory, and, and the Rebels all train out of Amy Stadium, and they say that there's fantastic cross-fertilisation of ideas, cross-code ideas. They're all owned separately, but actually, it works for them. So I think we just got, you know, we've got to get back a little bit and go blank sheet of paper. What do we do? Um, and and throw off some of the the more sort of entrenched ideas, which is all these sports to a degree have sat there and gone. Um, we want to operate the way we've always operated. We're sort of traditional around this, and you know, these guys are all competitors. Um, in the end. You know, businesses and, 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 and competitions tend to, uh, um, businesses and I think in sports too, tend to thrive um, when, when you're together because, because that's when you start to see innovation, you, you, you see um, shared ideas, shared thinking, and, and it works. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's no coincidence that, that the majority of the Formula One teams are based in Oxfordshire and in, in, in the UK. They're all competitors, but actually the, the, um, um, it's, well, I mean, it's, there's a degree of specialisation there, but in the end, it's uh, built up this whole industry there based around the, the cross-fertilisation of ideas and talent and attracting talent and that sort of thing, and, and we need to do the same. If, if we're going to attract more people into, into the industry, you know, I don't want to put people out of jobs, but in the end you go, well, do I need for four or five franchises, do I need four or five CEOs, or do I need one CEO? Um, and and you know it's like we do you know those are hard questions to ask that 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 tough that be some it's going to be really tough on people but in the end we do need to we do need to start looking at these uh, uh, franchises and professional sports as a business and that, and that does mean quite substantial or would mean quite substantial changes to some of the models um, which, which rugby and netball and, and cricket run. Um, maybe they think those models are sustainable, don't know, but in the end, if you're going to have private ownership, then um, we do need to change or, or attract private capital into these businesses, which I think you need to do ultimately if they are going to survive, then you, um, you are going to need to change the models, no question. Jenny, who's going to move first on this? Because presumably time is of the essence. Yeah, time is of the essence. Um, look, I know we're certainly in early conversations around various things, but I think we shouldn't forget, you know, why are we doing this? Because if I understand running like a business, and I, th I completely agree with that, and I think sport for a long time hasn't been that way, I think we shouldn't forget why we are doing it. And, and this is about inspiration for kids and Kiwi kids. Um, 
and getting them involved and they can see themselves up there playing at an elite level that these athletes are delivering back into the community. And I think we shouldn't lose sight of that intrinsic value of that um, and being you know, responsible for ensuring that kids both have a pathway but have someone to be inspired by. Um, so I think there's dual um, ways to look at this. Um, who's going to move? Look, uh, I certainly know that as we move forward and, um, you know, with the Sport New Zealand around that reimagining, this is absolutely part of our thinking. And I know as a business, we're already there. So um, we welcome the conversation. But as you say, someone's got to jump and, and we've got to actually pull this together. But I, I think it can be done. Pete, the uh, conflict professional versus that, that the, the intrinsic value of sport, because, I mean, as Rob mentioned, when you're in the professional mode, it's a business, that, uh, ultimately. So that, that, that there's an inherent conflict there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, there is, but I keep coming back to the end-to-end pathway. It's a balancing act of all of this. So to answer your question, who moves first, that will be interesting. But we will be sitting down with each uh, of our national sporting codes and having a conversation with them around what their thinking is. To Jenny's point, what is how would netball think about the future? N- not for a year, but what does it look like in 15 years' time? And what does it need to look like? And therefore, what career Courageous decisions have to be made now. And then how would uh, government, Sport New Zealand, be able to assist that? So we intend to have those conversations, and they need to be uh, brave ones, and they need to be uh, far-reaching. So we are looking at the sort of the future of, of sport here. Part of that, I think, is the whole cost structure of sport. Um, and, and possibly, you know, that cost structure we're talking about at the elite level is not only off the park, which we talked about, it's also on the park. Sport you know, in New Zealand, um, we're a small market. So we have to look at that. We have to look at the cross-subsidisation that goes on to prop up professional versus growing the, the, the base of the game in New Zealand. So all of those is a real rare opportunity because of the situation we're in to have those conversations and to put a spotlight on it. And, and it will require lots of leaders to come together uh, and be open and curious about what that could be. And, and that's what we're wanting to try and facilitate moving forward. A deadline on it? Uh, look, this is a long game. If you're going to make change, uh, this isn't going to happen by Christmas, but we have to start those conversations. And so we'll be talking a little bit more about that next week uh, in terms of some announcements around how we would like to do that. But, but clearly the government has valued the, the value of sport, uh, both at professional and all the way right down to, to participation. And so we'll start that exercise uh, next week and start with one-on-one conversations with a, a range of sports. Peter Miskimmon, Rob Morrison, Colin Mansbridge and Jenny Wiley, thank you very much for your time. And that is Extra Time for another week on Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.